Nehemiah Perik Bet. In Nehemiah Perik Bet, we begin to see Nehemiah talking to the king and beginning his mission of going to Yerushalayim and rebuilding the walls of Yerushalayim. Uh, we'll see he begins to face some of the opposition and the way Nehemiah begins to relate to the enemies that develop. Pasuk Aleph. And it was in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year to Achtashasta the king, I even brought wine before him, and I carried the wine and handed it to the king, and I was not downcast before him. Some grammatical notes about this pasuk. Uh, it says Yain Lefanav, wine before him. We translate it as I had brought wine before him. It's also possible to translate as there was wine uh, laid out in front of the king. The end of the pasuk, is literally, I was not evil before him. Uh, we translate it as, I did not look sad or downtrodden before the king. Rather, I kept up, usually, anyway, I kept up my appearance of being positive, happy before the king, even as I found out the news from Pedic Aleph that Yerushalayim was not in a good position the city was being attacked and the walls were in danger. It's worth noting here that Ri Mitrani uh, translates, I was not bad before the king, meaning I performed my duty well. And what that means is as the king's cupbearer, one of the duties is to taste the wine before handing it to the king, essentially to check for poison, make sure that the wine is safe for drink, and the king would be fine if he drinks it. And Nehemiah is saying he performed his duty well. Uh, the significance of that is that this wine was... Uh, obviously touched by non-Jews. It's in the Persian kingdom, uh, not a Jewish kingdom. And Chachamim had a gezerah against drinking wine touched by non-Jews uh, called Stam Yenam. You're not allowed to drink the wine of Gentiles, even if they didn't do anything to it. Uh, in the case, the gezerah was made in the case that they may sacrifice it for Abu Dazarah. The Yushalmi and Rid, as we mentioned, take this pasuk to mean that Nehemiah was given special permission to drink this wine, even though it was Stam Yenam, because of his political status as the cupbearer to the king. It's interestingly enough, this this specific case is actually brought up in modern halakhic discussions uh, for diplomats or dignitaries in the Israeli government or other governments, um, and is definitely brought into the discussion uh, specifically regarding drinking the wine uh, that would be stamina. We definitely see over here a little bit of how much the political realities of a political leader in Tanakh uh, we take from there and apply to modern day life. It's pretty exciting. Uh, in this pasuk, we mentioned Shnat Esrim Shasta, the 20th year of Atakshashta Hamelech, as we spoke about in Pirik Aleph. Uh, depending on which Perush you take, Atakshasta here will mean different things. According to Tosfot, Atakshasta here is Cyrus. And Nehemiah came before Ezra, according to Rashi, and most of the Mepharshim, Atakshasta here is Daryavis, uh, Darius, and he's coming 13 years after Ezra, uh, around the time of the building of the temple. And finally, uh, modern Pedushim, as well as uh, some of the academic world, understand Atakshasta to be Artaxerxes, placing this story again uh, several decades after the building of the temple. Pasuk Bet. And the king said to me, Why are your faces evil today and you're not sick? It is nothing but evil intentions. And I was greatly fearful. In Pasuk Bet, right away, we see that clearly the king noticed 
that Nehemiah's face was downtrodden, as opposed to in the last pasuk, he says, He didn't let his his emotions overcome his duties, and his face appeared to be downtrodden. Here it seems at a certain point, Nehemiah's face came away that he was upset about something. Uh, if we go back to pasuk Aleph, we'll notice this is Chodesh Nisan. This is Nisan, it's five months after Pedic Aleph when he heard the news. He heard the news in Kislev, this is Nisan, five months later. So it, it does seem very strange to say that for five months, Nehemiah was able to keep his taste fine, and then all of a sudden, five months later, he was suddenly looked depressed, downtrodden, and was noticeably distressed. Uh, I think there's a couple of options which could go about trying to explain the situation. The first may be that Hananiah and the rest of the people continued to receive messages from Yishalayim and Nehemiah was continuously getting updated about the situation and as it got progressively worse, Nehemiah may have begun to feel more and more distressed. Uh, there's another answer, I think, that makes more sense within the context. And that's that Nehemiah's downtrodden face and his subsequent reaction, as we'll see, was planned out. Uh, as we said, Nehemiah, from when he heard the news, was severely distressed. We saw the prayer he had to Hashem in Pedic Aleph. And it's not something that you would just forget about and remember five months later. It's something that Nehemiah clearly had in his mind, was clearly in the forefront of his mind, wanted to take action about. And so... I, it might have taken a couple of months for Nehemiah's full plan to come to fruition for him to work out the details, how long he would need. Perhaps he was corresponding with people in Yishalayim to try to better understand the situation. And when the time was ready, Nehemiah, if you will, allowed himself to be noticed as distressed by the king in order to bring up the conversation uh, that follows in the next Pasuk. Uh, Nehemiah's reaction here is also interesting when the, when the king tells him, uh, you're downtrodden today, it, it seems like you have evil intentions. Uh, if we place this in context, in the, in the period of absolute monarchs in the Persian kingdom, people could be killed for a lot less than a distressed face. Uh, the king had the power to, to do as he pleased, essentially. And so definitely uh, a, a king thinking that something was up was something to be fearful of. It quite possibly could have ended with the end of Nehemiah's life. You can draw context from Esther, who, as we know, Esther, when she when Mordechai tells her to go before Ahasuerus, says, if he does not, anyone who goes before the king, who the king has not called, so clearly this was uh, something that indeed very fearful. These kings definitely took themselves very seriously and the, just the wrong move could end up in death. Nevertheless, as we said, Nehemiah has planned for their response. He had a plan and continued Pasuk Gimel with his response. And they said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be downtrodden when the city of my forefathers' graves is desolate and its gates are consumed by fire? Here, Nehemiah gives a very emotional response to the king. First, he starts off by saying, to clarify his intentions, that there's no rebellion meant. Uh, his intentions are, are purely for his own people and has nothing, no ill will against the king. And continues by bringing up specifically the burial places of his father, of his forefathers, very emotional response. It's worth noting that in Persian culture, uh, death and graves were something considered very sacred, uh, possibly playing into Nehemiah's response to try to allow the king to feel empathy for the situation that he's in. Uh, the response is also very similar to Esther's response, who draws an emotional plea to the king about her people. Uh, the same thing here with Nehemiah, perhaps 
Uh, in both of their cases, they understood that a plea to the emotions would be more effective with these Persian kings than uh, a plea to logic or, or fair treatment. And as we see, Nehemiah was indeed successful. Pasuk Dalit, and the king said to me, regarding what is it that you're requesting? And I prayed to the Lord of the skies. The king knows the Hamiyah isn't just saying this to tell him his story and tell him why he's downtrodden. He knows there's a request, a specific request that Nehemiah must have in mind. And so asks him, uh, definitely a good side for Nehemiah. Sounds like the king is ready to acquiesce to what he's what he's looking for. Nehemiah right away that the Pasuk does not tell us what Nehemiah prays. Interestingly, Samifarshim, the Malbin, says that the next Pasuk, when, as we'll see, Nehemiah is talking to the king, is actually meant to be a prayer as well. So as Nehemiah was addressing the king, the king of Persia, he was also addressing the king God, uh, and he sort of had double meaning in the next Pasuk, and we'll see in the next Pasuk how that will play out. The Pshat, however, is that Nehemiah simply said a prayer that was not recorded in the text. Pasuke. And they said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servants shall be pleasing before you, that you send me to Yehuda, to the city of the graves of my forefathers, and I may build it. Once again, here we see Nehemiah being very political. Clearly, Nehemiah was well-versed in the way of how to talk to the king, uh, not to make it sound too demanding and make a polite request as per the fitting of the time. Pasuk Vav. And the king said to me, and the queen was singing next to him, until when will your journey be, and when will you return? And it was pleasing before the king, and he sent me, and I gave him a time of return. Uh, the order of this pasuk is a bit confusing. As we see, the king seems to ask twice, uh, Perhaps it was just uh, a formal way of asking the question as the king, uh, speaking in a formal tone. Rashi understands, Until when will you go? Essentially meaning, when will you leave, and when will you return? The Pasuk said, then says that it was pleasing before the king, and he sent me, and then I gave him a time. Uh, clearly this Pasuk is talking about a summation of events, and Nehemiah obviously gave the, gave the king the time period that he was seeking to return. We'll see he indeed does return uh, because he told the king he would return later on. Um, and then in summation, the king sent him, and all was good. Uh, now, before Nehemiah goes, he makes a few additional requests. Pasuk Zayin, Baumar Lamelech. And they said to the king, If it pleases the king, have letters be given to me regarding the satraps of the other side of the river, that they may pass me along until I arrive in Yehuda. Here Nehemiah is essentially asking for royal protection, uh, right of passage to pass through, so that all the satraps who are the local Persian governors uh, located in all the various regions, 
uh, know he's sent from the mission of the king will be able to assist him. It's interesting, he seems to uh, specifically be asking here for the ones across the Transjordan ones, the ones on the side of Eretz Israel. Uh, perhaps, as we, should, we shall see later on, uh, it's already clear that the king is going to send him people to go with him until he arrives there. Uh, but for whatever reason, the, the request is not explicitly made for protection on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Pasukhet. And a letter to Asaf, the keeper of the forest of the king, that he may give me trees to roof the palace gates of the temple and the wall of the city and the house to which I will go into. And the king gave me as the hand of God that was good unto me. Here Nehemiah is asking for essentially building material that will be able to take building materials from the king's forest that he has uh, throughout the kingdom. He mentions specifically three purposes which Nehemiah is looking for the trees to use. The palace gates of the temple. Uh, what exactly is this bira? Uh, it's actually a machoket in the Talmud. Rish Lakis holds the bira, means the entire Beit HaMikdash essentially, so any of the gates that would apply to the Beit HaMikdash and to the, to the, to the structures. The Biochanan, however, holds it's actually one particular tower which the Hamiel was referring to, which he wanted to, to build up. Uh, the second, Homatair, uh, simple, we'll see, that's the walls of the city, which the, the rest of the text spends the most time on describing. And the the house into which I will come into, essentially meaning Nehemiah's house, are referred to as such probably as a polite way to the king, uh, not saying my house, which you're paying for, essentially saying the house which I will come into, which will set up and will sort of be a government house and I will live there, uh, essentially a polite way of saying my house. And they came to the satraps across the river, and they gave to them the letters of the king, and the king sent with me army officers and horsemen. Uh, here the Pasuk is interesting, so Nehemiah leaves for his journey, uh, he comes to the satraps on the Transjordan on the side of Eretz Yisrael, uh, and gives them the letters, and then at the end of the Pasuk it says, Now, we would understand that this should be before he leaves, the king sent with him men. Uh, so there's two ways to understand this. Either it's sort of as a summation of everything the king sent, in addition to all this and everything asked for, the king sent uh, actual soldiers and cavalrymen. The other way to understand it is that the king over here is really referring to the king's actions through the satraps of the Transjordan. Uh, so essentially, Pasuk is saying, I got to the satraps, I gave them the letters, and then they gave me the horsemen, referring to it as the king gave me because they act through the power of the king and are his messengers. Uh, now we have arrived at Nehemiah finally in Yerushalayim, uh, and we'll see how he begins to prepare and fortify Yerushalayim. Pasuk Yerushalayim. And Sanbalat the Horani and Tovia the Amoni slave, and it distressed them a great distress that a man came to seek good for the children of Israel. Here we're introduced to two players who will come up later in the book, though there will be a consistent theme, Tovia and Sambalat. Uh, Sambalat is referred to a Horani. 
The read identifies this as someone coming from Beit Horon. Josephus writes that Sambalat was not Jewish and his daughter married a Kohen. Atuvia Ha'evid Hamuni, also a name that will come up later. Rashi understands that Tuvia is essentially an Evin Knani, meaning that he's a slave to the Jewish people, therefore he is dipped in a mikveh, he's not fully Jewish at this point, uh, but he is someone who is undergoing the conversion process. Even though he is converting, though, because he's Amoni, he's not going to be allowed to marry into the Jewish community, uh, so he is someone who is excluded. Uh, well, even though he is referred to as a slave or, or is a slave, it's clearly someone, as we'll see, who has a lot of political power, someone pretty high up in the rankings. Perhaps he was already a former slave at this point, and at this point he's already a free man operating independently because he definitely seems to someone who uh, be a man of influence. And these people um, just couldn't stand the fact that someone actually wanted to do good to the Jewish people. It just distressed them that someone had come and wanted to fix the plight of the Jews. So uh, definitely we can get a sense for what type of people we're dealing with here, uh, not because anything bad was happening to them, just because something good was happening uh, to other people. And I came to Yerushalayim, and I was there for three days. Uh, Nehemiah is now in Yerushalayim and is beginning to plan. He stayed for three days before taking action, most probably t- to take assessment of the situation, uh, to try to strategize a little bit and see how he's going to act. And I got up in the night, me and a few people with me, and I didn't tell a soul what God had put in my heart to do to Yerushalayim. And I, there were no animals with me besides for the animal which was, with which I was riding upon. Nehemiah essentially goes undercover, gets up in the middle of the night, takes only a few trusted people, doesn't tell anyone his plans, doesn't take any animals, wants to minimize the noise, and goes about, and we'll see in the next Pasuk, uh, what he's attempting to do. Pasuk in Gimel. And I went down in the gate of the valley at night and towards the Ein Hatanin and to the refuse gate. And I was causing breaches in the walls of Yerushalayim that were breached and in its gates which were consumed by fire. Nehemiah, as we'll see later in the book, gives us a lot of positions amongst the wall of where the various things were. Uh, so here he leaves Shar Haggai, passes Anatanin, and goes to Shar Haspot, probably not the same Shar Haspot that we have today. Uh, why we're saying that, we'll see later. In Pedagimel, it doesn't seem to be in the same position of the city of Shar Haspot we have today. Uh, now, so focusing on what Nehemiah did in this Pasuk, we translate it as broke the walls that follows Rashi and many of the Nefarshim. However, the actual Pasuk says Sover, not Shover. Uh, Sover is similar to Sover with a Samich. Samich and Sin are often Mithalef. And what that means is studied, contemplated. Uh, therefore, the Ibn Ezra and Rabbag explained that he didn't actually go and break the walls. Rather, what he did is study the walls, study the structure of the walls, examine if, what exactly, how far the extent of the 
repairs need to be done. Uh, as we mentioned, Rashi and many of the other Mepharshim explain Shavira here, meaning Shavira actually broke. Uh, and two main reasons are offered for why he would have went and broken the walls. Uh, the first is to encourage the people of the Yerushalayim to see, look how much damage is done to the wall, look what we need to do. Uh, we The enemies are attacking us. So basically, Nehemiah is reverting here to subterfuge to, for the people to think that their the situation is worse than perhaps it was at that exact moment. Uh, the other explanation given by Malpin is he was essentially testing the strengths of the walls by breaking it, poking it, prodding the walls, seeing what held and what didn't, and determining the exact extent of the damage. Pasuk Yudalid. And then I crossed to Shar Ha'ain and to the pool of the king, and there was no room for my animal to cross under me. Here the Pasuk describes the Hamiyah went after reaching Shar Hashpah, continued going, and gradually got to a point uh, where the wall was so dilapidated, where it was such a bad situation where there was no room for the actual animal to pass. Perhaps there was destruction, crumbling walls, uh, but there was actually no physical room for him to pass. Uh, so his experiment or, or exploration of the wall ended at that point. Um, he couldn't. He simply couldn't pass anymore. And they went up in the valley at night, and they contemplated in the walls, and I returned, and I came to the gate of the valley, and I returned. Essentially summing up Nehemiah's ventures of the night, he went up through the valley at the night, studied the walls, returned and came through to the place where he started off, Shad Haggai, uh, the gate of the valley, and returned back to the city. And the noblemen did not know where I went and what I was doing, and to the Jews and the Kohanim and the aristocrats and the noblemen and to the rest of the people who were working, until that point I did not tell them. Here again, Nehemiah is stressing that this was done in secret, uh, no one else was doing this until the Hamya was ready. It was a re very well planned out event. He wanted to go and explore before he brought on the people on, before he knew uh, what exactly needed to be done. Ad Ken can be explained like she says Ad Khan, meaning until now, I haven't told them until now. It could also be explained Ad Ken until it was thus. Meaning the Hamya didn't tell them the plans until they came to fruition, until he was ready to actually start building on the wall. That's how the Ibn Ezra explains it. Pasuk and I said to them, you see the great evil that we're sitting in, that Yerushalayim is desolate and its gates are consumed with fire. Let us go and build the walls of Yerushalayim and they will not be to embarrassment anymore. Well, we could see based on this pasuk that this was clearly something that the Jews were thinking about. It was clearly evident it was an embarrassment for them. The state of the walls, the state of their capital city uh, was something that was very on their mind. There was something they were very conscious of. Pasuk Yudchayt. And I told them the hand of God that was good upon me, and also the words of the king that he told me, and they said, let us go and build, and they strengthened their hand for good.
after first making an emotional plea to the people, now Nehemiah comes with the information that they didn't know, namely that his speaking to the king, and the, the king gave him permission to go ahead and build the walls of the city, uh, something which clearly would have been very powerful for the people uh, who might have thought that the Persians uh, looked very negatively upon them and may have wanted to even decide with their enemies. Having the power of the king was a very important part in undertaking this task and definitely helped spur the people to take action. There seems to be two sets of instructions that the king relayed to Nehemiah here. Uh, the first, uh, what God had did, we referred to this earlier as the king's directive to go uh, to be able to build the temple. And the second, the words of the king which he told me. Uh, perhaps some directives of the king or instructions of the king were not given in the text, uh, but it is clear that there were a few parts of news that definitely would have made the people happy. Perhaps one was referring to the to the Etzim that, that Nehemiah referred to earlier, that he was allowed to build the Etzim, or uh, perhaps there were some other stipulations that the king allowed Nehemiah that were not informed of. Pesukiatet, uh, now we return to the enemies. We mentioned them a bit earlier. Now we refer to them exactly and see what they wanted and what the situation was in a bit more detail. And Sanbalat the Horani and Tovia the Ammonite slave and Geshem the Arvi heard about what was happening. And they ridiculed and embarrassed us and they said to us, What is this thing which you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? One more character is added in here, Geshem the Arvi, uh, an Arab who was joined this group of people who were trying to antagonize the Jewish people. And the way they attacked is twofold. First, they humiliated the people. As we said earlier, the wall and the state of Yerushalayim was a state of humiliation for the people. And secondly, they brought up rebellion to the king of Persia. This makes a lot of sense because we know Atakshasta himself is the one who stopped the building of the walls of the temple. Uh, so now going back and building, perhaps they didn't hear that Nehemiah came directly from Atakshasta, definitely can look on the external side like a rebellion if one didn't know the details. Um, as a side note, according to Zizal, this is not the same Akhtar Shasta, uh, so that wouldn't work as well. But still, as we know, Persian kings, like Hasra said, once you make a decree, you can't return it. So even if it was the past king, uh, namely Ahasuerus, who stopped the decree, the, pre the present king, Daryavish, wouldn't necessarily have the power to override his past decree. Uh, so... It in any event, it does seem to be like it's overriding a direct decree of the Persian king uh, to stop the destruction, to stop the construction of the walls of Yerushalayim. Pasuk kaf v'ashivutam davar v'omar lehem Elohei Hashemayim hu yatsiach lano v'anachnu avadav nakumu v'aninu v'lachem in chelik v'stakav izikanon v'yishalayim. And I returned to them a word, and I said to them, "The Lord of the skies, He will grant us success, and us, His servants." will go up and build, and you have no portion and merit and memorial in Yerushalayim. Nehemiah responds with a very powerful response. He doesn't even mention the fact that he's coming from the king. Perhaps he was saving it, or perhaps they indeed didn't know it, and were just messing with Nehemiah and the Jewish people. Uh, in any event, he tells them, we are sent by our God. 
Uh, God is going to succeed. And when with this is all done and we're successful, you will have no portion of murder memorial in Yushalayim. This is particularly powerful. Remember who these people were. Uh, they were people with connections to the Jewish people. They were leaders in the community, perhaps, people who were intermarrying and, and who were trying to associate them with the Jewish community. So by Nehemiah cutting them out, it's more than just saying we have nothing to do with you. Uh, it's an active act of cutting out these people.